you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn over to Revelation 4 and 5. Revelation 4 and 5. Um, there's been a couple times in my life when I've been a travel agent for a place that I've never been to. I know that sounds kind of strange, but a couple years ago, um, oh yeah, we, I, I, we, do have a, we do have a PowerPoint tonight, today too, so just because some of these scenes are really hard to see, so I did make one up, okay, so sometimes, all right. Um, a missionary from South Africa said, Doug, you got to come over. I want you to teach for a week or two. South Africa is one of those beautiful places imaginable and explains all this stuff to me. Right on the, you know, right in the Cape, right in the very corner. So I went home to my wife and I said, honey, you want to go to South Africa with me? It's and then I'm the travel agent. I said, they have this place and they have that and it's this. And, and of course, for my wife, it didn't take much to convince her. But here I was being a travel agent for a place I had never seen. I was trusting what somebody else had told me. Now, when we got there, we found it to be exactly that way. I kind of feel like that way when I come to Revelation 4 and 5. I've never been there. But somebody was. And, and, and he wrote in the book what this incredible ultimate worship service looks like. I mean, we have a phenomenal worship team here. But there is one that's better. <laughs> Carmelo, I, I'm sorry. I mean, you know, I mean, at best, we try to picture that, right? Okay. And so this really, what we're going to look at today is the ultimate worship service. But I've never been there. I'm a travel agent. That's all I am for a place I've never been. We want to look at what John says. For he was taken in the spirit in a vision into the very throne room of God. So I, I want to just walk through these two chapters, and I will try to do it all in 30 minutes, okay, so you can pray for me. That's, that, that's my goal. But this is, this is so overwhelming. I mean, South Africa can't compare. There is nothing that can compare to this. So if, 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 if as this travel agent who's never been there, I can possibly help you to see it a little bit better so that you go... Wow. Then it was a good 30 minutes. That's, that's about all I want to try to accomplish. So come with me, if you would, to Revelation chapter 4. Mark, let's put up that next slide. Um, you're probably going like, I, I, I was trying to put all of it onto one slide. So here it is. You may be looking at it and say, Fink Finder, I stayed up till 1 o'clock in the morning one night to get this thing done. Okay, so, I, I, so, so at least favor me on it. But what we want to basically do is we want to work from the center out, okay? Um, and and, and kind of get a feel for what is it that John tells us that he actually saw in Revelation 4 and 5. And it's, it's marvelous what we have here. Let, let me read the passage, Revelation 4. Verse 1. And again, folks, this is what we call visionary literature. So, for instance, when Jesus is described as, as a, a lamb or a ram with seven horns and eyes all around him, it doesn't mean when you get to glory, Jesus is going to look exactly like that. Do you know what I'm saying? It's symbolism. And it's, it's Jesus is there, and we are going to be with him. All true. 
But, but, but this imagery is brought out so you might learn different aspects of who he is and what he has done. Does that make sense? Okay. So just so we're clear on that. That's why it's kind of hard to draw. I think it's easier to do this than it is to draw pictures of the whole thing because it gets kind of complicated the way metaphors and similes work. So text says this. After these things, John says, I looked and behold, a door open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard, like, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me said, come up here and I will show you what, what must take place after these things. John, come on up and you are going to see the very throne room of God. Now, folks, it's really important to understand something. This is written in the time when Rome was the most powerful empire on earth. They had throne rooms. You know what they would often say to Caesar? You are worthy. Very common to say those kinds of things to Caesar. Caesar is going to get trumped like you can't possibly imagine in this text. Way over the top. It's a little bit of a polemic even against what's going on there. But listen to what it says. Verse 2. John is speaking. Immediately I was in the spirit. And behold, a throne was standing in heaven and one sitting on the throne. So, so we're now kind of in the, in the middle there. Do you see? We're in the throne itself. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone and, and sardis in appearance. I mean, glistering and red and bright. And I don't know if you're like me, but when I get up in the morning, it's normally dark. I have to go in early for work. I kind of find my way into the bathroom. It's all dark. And, and I, I wish I had like a really a, a light that was muffled and kind. And, but all I have is this right over, right over our sink. I mean, they're just all bright, which is great for shaving, but it's terrible for waking up. Yeah. And I'll flip that on. Oh, oh. <laughs> you know, I feel like I'm blind. You, you know what I'm saying, right? You've all had that experience? That can't compare to this, folks. I mean, this throne is blinding when you look at it. And there was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald appearance. And around the throne were 24 thrones. And upon the thrones, I saw 24 elders sitting. Yes, if you count, I put 24 of them up there. All right, so to trust me, you can count it, but they, I count checked it a couple times, okay? There's 24 up there. Um, clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. And from the throne proceeded flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. Do you ever find yourself in a terrible storm? I mean, they have more out west. But those times when I mean, frankly, it's frightening. It's the lightning. It's just one right after another. And it, it, you, know, you know what I'm saying? And, and you just go like, man, I just want this thing over. John is saying with this blinding light and this radiance that's unimaginable and the thunder and the lightning, they're, they're, you, you almost feel, well, not you don't almost feel, like you want to back away. Because it's, it's 
far beyond what you can imagine. It's glorious. It's, it, it's scary. It's the transcendent holy God. It's, 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 it's unbelievable. And, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne. And there's debate on this. I, I, I think it's probably talking of the Holy Spirit myself. But there's some other possibilities there. Which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. You know, when I look at a piece of glass right now, it's not a good piece of glass unless I can see through it. Like my glasses right now have, you know when you've had glasses for a while, they start getting all these nicks? Even though they, pro, they tell me when they give me these glasses, they'll never get nicked up because they put something on it. That's a lie. It's not, it's not true. It's not true. You know, but, but you know, I don't like to buy glasses unless I can actually see through them, clearly. Well, in the ancient world, glass wasn't near, it wasn't transparent like what, what you can see now. It was, it was often kind of fuzzy. And the idea of being like crystal, it's, it's, it's more like the glycerin that you see from, from, from ice. On a, on a lake or, or, or something like that. And again, it's bringing, it's the sea of glass. It's not like you can see right through it, but it's, again, have you ever seen the sun hit snow in the wintertime? What's it do to your eyes? Oh. The whole image of this throne is this, folks. You're just going like, wow. And yes, there's lamps around, probably representing the ministry of the Spirit. And then you find there are these Living beings, four living beings, some kind of angelic beings. What, what beyond that? I don't know. But they're the closest to the throne. And around them, there's 24 elders. And some people see them as, as being into, uh, the apostles and so forth. Personally, I think, again, I think they're angelic beings that, that represent Israel and the church. I'm okay with that. But, but I, I think... The picture you have in Revelation 4, what you find is you only see angelic beings. At this point, you don't see any humans. This throne of God, which is more brilliant, which would just make you want to step back, and these Four living creatures around, and then these 24 elders. And as we begin to develop farther out, there's going to be around them angels. And it's just a glorious scene, but it's almost like you can't get there. I sometimes imagine it like, like the temple in the first century. You just can't quite get to the Holy of Holies. And then there's the holy place. And then there's the court for the priests. And then there's the court for the men and then the Israelites and then I mean you just it's just like you can't quite get there and you have this glorious throne scene with all these angelic beings around and they're worshiping and they're praising and it's an incredible thing building off of Ezekiel 1 and Isaiah 6 some of these classic wonderful texts from the Old Testament listen to what it goes on to say verse 7 Speaking of these four living beings. The first creature was like a lion. Probably speaking of royalty and ability to rule. And the second creature like, 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 like a calf or like a bull. Probably speaking of strength. Third creature 
had a face like a, a man, perhaps intelligence. And the fourth creature was like a flying eagle, just sovereign control and protection. And, and all of them at the bidding of the Father to do exactly what God wants to do from his throne in this world. They're only there for that purpose. They are totally obsessed and lost in God. And all of his brilliance, nothing else matters but God. And, and the living creatures around and, and the 24 elders around. And we're going to find out soon the angels around them. To get a glimpse a little bit. I'm only a travel agent. I've never been there. I'm doing the best I can. All right? I'm just going by what John told me. Look at what he goes on to say here. In verse 8. Because now. They speak. We've got the scene. Right? Kind of these concentric circles moving out from the throne. And now they speak. The first the four living creatures, verse 8, each one of them having six wings. Again, it makes you think of Isaiah 6. Are full of eyes around and within. And, and sometimes when you read it, you go like, that seems kind of weird. I'm like, what do you mean? It just means nothing is missed. It's probably speaking of omniscience. There's nothing that goes on that God doesn't know as he sends out these angels. They know it all. There's eyes everywhere. It's more than the U.S. government and all the, you know, all the programs. We, I mean, you can't compare. I mean, they, they do know it all. Okay. And they do not cease to say this, verse 8. Holy, holy, holy. Three times. The only attribute of God mentioned three times. He, uh, God is love, but you don't ever read, read love. Love, love. But you do read holy, holy, holy. He is so separate and glorious and magnificent that all you can say is stand back and say holy. And it's all, it's all you can do. He, he's, he's magnificent. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. He's eternal. You know, before Doug Finkbeiner was, God was. And after I'm gone, he will be. I mean, he's eternal. You can't even see the beginning and you'll never see the end. It's impossible because there isn't. He's the eternal God. And that's what the four living creatures say. And when the living creatures Give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne. To him who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne. And will worship him who lives forever and ever. And will cast their crowns before the throne saying. So do you see the picture? These four living beings are just encircling the throne of God. Holy, holy, holy. And then the four, then the 24 elders, they all fall down and they throw out their crowns. I mean, whatever they do in service to God, it's all God. Their crowns mean nothing. It's all God. Whatever they represent, it all goes to him. And listen to what they say. 
I know they used to say in antiquity to Caesar, worthy are you. But Caesar, your throne room cannot compare to God's. Verse 11. They say, worthy art thou, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou didst create all things. And because of thy will, they existed and were created. You know what they tell us? Like I said, I'm nothing but a travel agent. Haven't been there. But John tells us as he sees this and hears them and experiences it. That the sovereign God is worthy of all worship because of his glorious holiness as the creator. One of the great attacks in our day is that God is not creator. Now, we can debate how he created and lengths. Yeah, yeah, we can have debates on some things. I, I get all that. But you can never take away the fact that God is creator. And, and, and John hears them say, holy, holy, holy. And God, you are worthy because everything belongs to you. Because you don't stand inside creation. You, you were before it. You were after it. No, no. You stand over it. And as you stand over it, Lord, everything within creation should magnify your name. You are worthy of all worship as creator God. You stand outside of us. That's what Revelation 4 says. I probably went through it too quickly because it's marvelous, but I have another chapter to go. And I'm down to about 15 minutes. But I feel like I can never get there. I I don't deny it. We don't ever want to deny in our worship that God is beyond us. God is over us. He's the holy, transcendent creator God. I just can't find my name there. (laughs) You find yours? Revelation 5. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book, or we should say a scroll, written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. I don't want to get into a lot of background, but perhaps this would help. You know, they don't use, this is a codex, right? We set it up as a codex, as a book. Well, they didn't use codices were coming in in the first century but they didn't use them they mostly used scrolls right and so you want to read something you'd read it on a scroll and you normally wrote just on one side of a scroll you know um and if you wrote on both sides because the back side the way they actually did it you were actually writing against the grain it was a mess so but if you had legal documents you would often write on both sides of the scroll and if it was really really important you'd wrap that scroll up and you would put a series of seals on it And perhaps the seals came from Caesar himself. And that means then, don't anybody mess that. Because when that thing is opened, that official letter, only certain people can open it and really put it into practice. So it's extremely important. And so John sees this incredible vision of God. And then all of a sudden, he sees a scroll in the hand of God Almighty in the middle of the throne. That's what happens. 
And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice. Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? Who is the authority to, to actually implement that? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. I mean, none of the four living beings? Uh-uh. The 24 elders? Mm-mm. The myriad of it? Mm-mm. No one. And John is standing there and he's saying, well, within God's plan that needs to be actually engaged in this world, it's not going to happen because someone has to take that and put it into practice. And look what John does. John's into this. John's into all this. And in verse 4, he says, I began to weep greatly. He wasn't whimpering. He was weeping because he realized there's nobody in all these lists of people who can actually take it and make this happen. Someone's got to take it. Who can take it from God himself? answer to that is only God. So listen to what happens. Verse 5. One of the elders, one of those 24 elders, said to me, stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. I want you to think about that. He is the Lion of Judah, which means he fulfills all of those messianic promises which were given to David and this ultimate king who would come, which is David. So, so you see, he's the king from the tribe of Judah, the Lion from the, king, uh, from, from the tribe of Judah. You see, he's a descendant. But he's also the root of David. Like, how do you work that one out? How can you be the descendant and the root at the same time? Only if you're God. Because as we find in, in Matthew's account, when Jesus will actually say, tell me, the Messiah, is he the son of David? And of course, the religious leader said, yeah. Well, then how do you handle Psalm 110 where he's also the Lord over David before, before David? Like, how do you work both of those out? The only way to work it out is Jesus had to be the God-man. There's no other way. He had to be both the root, the cause, and the descendant, the kingly descendant. And Jesus was both. Who can take that? Only God himself becoming a man, living as one of us, dying for us on the cross with all the authority now to take that and to implement all of God's purposes for the earth. Only one. Only one. You take a list of all of those. No one else is worthy. Isn't that marvelous? Verse 6. John says, after the elder told me that, I saw between the throne, between the throne, I, 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 I actually should have the lamb even closer. Sorry, but you know, you can only do so much sometimes with these PowerPoints. So, so I mean, it should, it should be right up there. I probably should have put a dash with it or something like that. Sorry, I, I mean it. 
between the throne. Come on, right? I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing. Wait, wait, is he a lion or is he a lamb? Mm Mm-hmm. He's a king. And he's a sacrificial lamb. And you know, from this point on in the book of Revelation, when Jesus Christ is identified, I couldn't find one other time when he's identified as the lion. But you know what he's called again and again and again and again and again through the book of Revelation? The lamb. Because when we get done and we see this glorious king and all of his splendor and wonder, don't ever forget that he's the lamb. The lamb that has died for you. So John is just going to take us on this trip right through his book. The elders, a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns, his authority, the fullness of his authority, and seven eyes, he knows all things, which are the seven spirits of God, and he ministers through the spirit, sent out into all the earth. He came, he took it out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Only God can take it from the hands of God. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Who alone gets worship in the Bible? God. This is one of the strongest proof texts, again, for the divinity of Jesus Christ. Because they've just worshipped God the Father in all of his glory, and now they're falling down before the lamb. Do you see it? Like I said, I'm only a travel agent, so we're doing the best we can. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures fell down, having each one a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. It's marvelous. We are a needy people. And the only way our needs will ever be met is through the only one that can bring us close to the throne of God. And that is the Lamb. Right? And they sang a new song, verse 9. Worthy art thou to take the book and break its seals and engage this world in all of your purposes, showing forth your justice and deliverance for your people as you see fit. Go! Only you. Only you. For thou wast slain. And did purchase for God with thy blood people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And thou hast made them to be a kingdom of priests to our God and they will reign upon the earth. I think I found myself in the text. Did you find yourself? Because Jesus has come To redeem us. You say. You don't know my socioeconomic status. It doesn't matter. You don't know my ethnic background. It doesn't matter. Every tribe. Every nation. Every people group. God is not biased. God is about redeeming humanity. And so Jesus comes on the scene and every imaginable kind of person that you can think of, Jesus purchases them 
for God in his glory and makes them all kingdom of, a kingdom of priests. Did you know I'm a priest? I don't, know if, I, I don't know if I ever told you that before. Jim Organziza right there. Jim, Jim's a priest too. Matt, you're a priest. We are a kingdom of priests representing God to a lost world who desperately needs him. It's us. We tell them about this God so they might know him and they might become part of this kingdom of priesthood too. It's an incredible thing. So this, this throne scene in, in, in four, which just makes me want to step away, not because I don't love it, but because I'm unworthy to get close to it. All of a sudden, things change because of the lamb. Ah, do you see the difference? Can you go back just for a second? Ah, okay. See, because of Jesus, I mean, this is technology, folks. You got to watch this. One more time. Do you see? I could never get near. It's impossible. He's so other. He's so there. He's so transcendent. But Jesus brings me near. Because he's died for me. And he's died for you. And if you know him, you don't deserve to be there. But you get to be there. My time's about up. I, 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 I'm just going to overview two more pages. I, I, I just wish I could read a bunch more text to you. Because this stuff is so good. Think about this. Revelation chapter 7. Verses 9 to 17. It's a great passage, folks. Because it's all about God's people who are right there with him. Can I just read it to you? Is that okay? All right. Hold on. I'll just read it. This is, this is marvelous. It is, it's now talking about us because of the lamb who are right there. Listen to what it says. I love it. I love it. It's so good. After these things, Revelation 7, 9. I looked and behold, a great multitude which no one could count. From every nation and all tribes and all peoples and all tongues. You don't have to speak English. Right? Standing before the throne and before the lamb. Clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. They would often have these coronation services in the ancient world with Caesar. And use palm branches for that. Now it's God's people at the throne itself. And they cry out with a loud voice saying, salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. That's why we've got those myriad of angels out there too. And beyond that, we've got the entire universe, which one day will bow to him also. Whether they agree with him or submit to him, I tell people all the time, you've got two options in life. You can submit to Jesus now or you'll submit to him in the afterlife. But then it's too late, but he'll still get glory for his namesake. That's it. Now or then, there's only two options. That's it. And around the elders, and the, I said I was just going to read. Here I go. Sorry. I'll just try to keep reading. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God. Folks, I want you to think about this. People are right by the throne. It's us. It's, it's, an, oh, it's so good. Saying, 
Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might. Like what's left, right? Be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered saying to me, these who are clothed in the white robes, who are they? And, and from where have they come? And I, and, and I said to him, my Lord, you know. I mean, John's saying, well, you tell me. I mean, like, it, it's your vision, right? And I, tell me what's going on. And he, said to, and he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God. They serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne shall spread his tabernacle over them. Can you get any closer than that, folks? They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. Neither shall the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the lamb in the center of the throne shall be their shepherd. And shall guide them to springs of water of life. And God shall wipe every tear from their eyes. Isn't that marvelous? Jesus brings us near. And you read Revelation 4 and 5. I think I have one more slide there. Oh, good. We find out that the sovereign God is worthy of all worship because of his glorious holiness of, as creator. It's absolutely true. But when I hear that, it makes me want to kind of back away, doesn't it? Because he's so awesome. And because of his sacrificial love as redeemer. And that brings me right to him. Worship must balance both. If it only, if it only focuses on the second part, God is just some kind of a soft grandfather up there that's, oh, whatever, right? And if it only focuses on the first, I can never get near. You remember from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? When... Um, the girls talking about Aslan said, the children, they said, um, is he tame? And the beaver said, he is not tame. This God is not tame. But he is good. Isn't that it? He is not tame. We cannot approach. He is good. We can approach because of Jesus Christ who makes all the difference in the world. I'm going to close here. I was going to look at one more passage, but I'll spare you. But, but there's this really interesting passage that I love in Hebrews chapter 12. Because we're looking at it and you're saying, yeah, but that's all still then. And you're right. I mean, that's, I mean, we're here and that's then. Fair enough. In Hebrews chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews says, under the old covenant in the Old Testament, the people worshiped at Mount Sinai. And it was a scary scene. But in verse 22, he says, but we have come to the heavenly Sinai. We, and then he begins to describe God and the angels and Old Testament saints and New Testament saints and Jesus. And all I can tell you is this, are we in heaven yet? No. 
But are we so connected to him that there is a sense in which when we worship today, we are actually in his presence worshiping him? And the answer to that is yes. Hebrews 12 says, you're already there. And Revelation says, even though you're not yet, yet actually there. Both are true. So when we worship, when our team comes back up here, just know when you sing, you sing before the throne room itself. Do you know that? Yeah, we're not there yet. I got it. But we're already there in one, at, one, at one level. And then folks, go out of this building. Be so overwhelmed with this God who has brought you near in the person of his son. That it changes the way you talk with your mates at home and your children at home and your co-workers. I mean, Jesus is everything. And our entire lives are you are awesome as creator God. And you are my kind redeemer who has brought me near. God help us to keep those together. Let's pray. Father, you're a... Uh, it's just, it's, I don't even know how I can do justice to a passage like this, Lord. Would you overwhelm us through your spirit with who you are? Lord, give us just a little glimpse of your greatness, God the Father, and your goodness, Jesus Christ. Help us to come near because you have first come near. And Lord, may we be a people that not only worship in our words now with everything inside of us, but may we live our lives giving everything for you because you are the only one who is worthy. In Christ's name I pray, amen.